This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. This is the December 1st episode. Uh, We're joined again today by Dr. Mary Gums. As always, I'm also joined today by my co-host, Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana and Carl Joran from Western Indiana. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Morning, Brian. Doing well. Thank you, Brian. Morning, Brian. Glad to be back. Great. Glad to have you back, Mary. For those that didn't uh, have not had the chance maybe to listen to our last episode yet, uh, Mary was on and we have been discussing the Pioneer Yield Pyramid decision-making tool. So uh, we'll catch you back up. Maybe for those that have not uh, heard the last episode, Mary, maybe just give us a brief overview of what the yield pyramid is, uh, and we'll kind of go from there. Sure. The yield pyramid is a new tool that's been developed by Pioneer to really help farmers make uh, agronomic decisions on the farm. And in situations like we have now with high input costs to really prioritize their decisions. Um, It's a way of of looking at your ultimate yield goal and giving you some very concrete steps to get to that yield goal. And this is based on just the huge uh, reservoir of data that we have at Pioneer. Um, Every year we do over 6,000 corn plots in North America. And we have gone back and, and, and analyzed those plot locations using uh, what we call some, some, some big data techniques. And really big data and machine learning are just fancy ways of saying we're looking for a pattern. And in this case, we were looking for patterns of what, what did high yielding corn fields have in common? And sometimes people think of that question, just say, well, they had really, they had really good soil and enough water. And, and yeah, that, that is part of the question. Um, but we have fields that do well throughout the country under different environments in drier climates, in, in lower fertility climates. And so we're looking at really what do those fields have in common? And to start this uh, project out, we've uh, identified 10 corn growing regions in the United States. And so these are places where weather, uh, soils, fertility, management practices are similar. And then we looked within those zones to see what were the common characteristics between uh, higher than average corn yields. Uh, We also looked at what things had the most effect on corn yield, Um, the variables in in your field, whether it's the inputs you're using or the management techniques that that you're using. Were there some things that had a higher higher influence on corn yield than other items? And really, how can we prioritize those so that you're looking at a very profitable field, no matter what your yield level is? Mary, that, that was awesome. So, you know, using this tool, using the big quote unquote reservoir of data that pioneers, you know, aggregated over the years. And like you said, we've got 10 of these growing zones, if you will, across the U.S., but really three primarily in Indiana, the Northern Sands, the Northern Corn Belt and the Eastern Corn Belt. And uh, like we said last episode, 
guys probably farm all three of those or very likely two of those. So, you know, just because one county is considered in the Northern Sands area doesn't mean that you don't have fields that act more like Eastern Corn Belt ground. So today the logic was we'd like to have Mary kind of go through um, an example of how one might use the yield pyramid. And so like she was talking to earlier, we've got all these different management vari or all these different variables and Pioneer's done a nice job of kind of classifying them into four different buckets. Um, and so, as Mary said, to kick off the podcast, a lot of people think, uh, you know, if you have enough water and you have good enough ground, those are, you know, those are two of the primary drivers. And that's, that's totally true. But we wanted to bucketize these things into what's in the grower's control and what's not in his or hers control. And so just to illustrate that, one of these buckets is the soil variable. So what is your ground like? Um, from a textural standpoint, that's pretty cut and dried. Everybody you know, remembers the textural triangle uh, as you've been learning about soils in, in the past. But the other one is weather variables where we're measuring things like how much precipitation did you get at a certain you know, key point in the crop's development? Or, uh, you know, what did you have in the way of temperature, evapotranspiration, and all of those things, right, again, outside of our control. So what we really wanted to hone in on today is how to prioritize those management decisions or fertility um, investments and use that to drive profitable decisions today. So that's where we're going to kind of take things from here. And I think, Mary, maybe the best way to do this um you know, from a sales training standpoint, nobody likes role playing, but I think maybe that may be the best way to go about this. You know, just think about a typical northern Indiana, central Indiana farmer, as Carl said, you know, that eastern corn belt guy that we've got. And I think maybe we just spitball a situation and you talk us through how to use the decision tool, the yield pyramid to improve our performance of pioneer products or frankly anything really. Uh, we'd love for it to be pioneer products, but this is about improving performance for our growers uh, that are using the yield pyramid. That sounds great, Brian. Thank you for springing uh, role-playing on me at uh, 821 <laughs> Central Time on Monday morning after a long holiday weekend. But yeah, I, th I think that would be a, a great way to do it. So oh. if, I, if I'm talk talking with a, a farmer in Central Indiana, uh, I probably start off with a conversation uh, about these different zones. And, and like Carl said, there's really three major zones in Indiana, Northern Corn Belt, which are those really highly productive soils. Um, Western Indiana's got a lot of Northern Corn Belt in it, um, tends to have more moderate temperatures uh, in, during grain fill, good water holding capacity in the soils. Uh, we've got our Northern Sands, which are that Northwest and North, actually really the Northern probably quarter of, of Indiana has a lot of the Northern sands in it. These can be great soils. Um, I love how well stands established in them because we don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of standing water and, and compaction in these soils, but our big risk is uh, late season drought. And then we've got the Eastern Corn Belt soils, which again can be very highly yielding soils, uh, but they probably have uh, more of a tendency for poor drainage than the Northern Corn Belt soils do, um, as well as a, the weather pattern of being dry during, during uh, grain fill 
and a tendency for high humidity, which can lead to disease, as well as hot nights, which can be, which can be an issue as well. So the first thing I would do is really look closely at, at your fields. And, and this is a tool that you really do one field at a time. Um, so I would I'd pick a field to start with. And, and we've got a bunch of tools at our disposal to, to really figure out what zone your, your field is in. So we'd have a conversation about that. Uh, if, if a farmer is sitting down with a pioneer agronomist, we've got some digital tools that we can use to really pinpoint what type of, uh, what type of zone that's in. And, and so the first thing we would do is, is talk about what zone you're in. So let's say, Brian, you have an Eastern Corn Belt field. So the next question I'd start asking you is, you know, what, what's the yield level? What, what's, your, what's your current yield level on this field? And, and for this conversation, do we want to talk about a high yielding field or a low yielding field? Because really, everybody has those on their farm. And what we want to do is manage them profitably. We don't, if you know you've got a, a sandy field that is just never, never averaged more than 180 bushels per acre, you don't want to spend the money on inputs to try to get it to 270. Let's work with what we have and do it profitably. Well, I think in my mind, the one of the benefits of the yield pyramid, and I mentioned this last week, is being able to move up those tiers. So I think to be fair, having a conversation about a moderate to low yielding field is really the low hanging fruit in the pyramid system. Uh, and so I think that's the value of the conversation in my mind is starting there. And how can we increase that? We may never get it to 270, but can we get a you know, long-term 10-year average of 190 to 220 or 230 and do it profitably? That, that in my mind, is the value of the pyramid. I, I've been, Carl, I don't know if you guys agree with that perspective or not, but that's certainly one of the things that really hit me out of the box when Mary and the others in the agronomy sciences rolled the yield pyramid out to me. Well, that sounds like a good place to take it because, um, you know, it's often that all four of us feel the call from a grower that says, hey, I've heard about X biological product. Uh, and, you know, sounds like a really good thing based on what the individual that was toting it was saying. Uh, what do you think? And, you know, it's kind of hard to answer that question without knowing on what type of ground it's going to go on, what are other yield limiting factors, and maybe where should we prioritize that dollar spend before we go and try the, you know, the miracle juice that um, is going to get things going. So perhaps, perhaps that's where we, where we start things off is um, maybe something that's looking like the county average, maybe it's a field we just picked up this year. Um, you know, ground's been changing hands a lot in my area. So, uh, you know, something new to me, where, where should I start? Where are the building blocks of what uh, I understand is a, is a county average yield for Eastern Corn Belt ground? Like Mary was saying, drainage could be a little bit of a limiting factor here. So, so uh, maybe we start there. What, uh, I, without looking at a cheat sheet, what do you guys, what do you think? What's the, What's the most important thing or where would you start um, with a brand new field? Well, given, given where input prices are this year, I mean, I think it's a good conversation to be having on uh, where, you know, where are you going to prioritize those dollars? So I think that, um, you know, the, the biological question that we've gotten over and over again, and people, 
some folks are looking, particularly as dollars get tight, they're looking for the silver bullet that's either going to create this much yield or save me this many dollars. Um, but you really have to have the foundation in place, right? So and I, I think that's, um, I think that's that's what this conversation will draw out is if we start if we start with having the foundation there, um, it gets a whole lot easier to pick where where we spend those dollars. No, well said. So for me, I'm thinking, all right, I want my pH to be in a good place. That way I, I don't have, um, you know, a poor return on my fertility investment when your PNK, uh, you know, spend might not be as well utilized. It might not be as efficient if my pH is out of bounds. So starting with Lyme is uh, a, a good place to start. And then after you go from there, figuring out where your PNK levels are also a good good place to identify things but amongst those three i'd still say choosing the right hybrid is probably just as important as um as getting your fertilizer right so kind of thinking through those basic building blocks um uh, obviously we're gonna have to spend some money on nitrogen to feed a corn crop and so looking at that nitrogen use efficiency is another another piece to this puzzle but those would be the four things that i think all of us on the Line would agree would be the the building blocks, the foundations, the basic that Ben was alluding to. Yep, but I guess here's the question: What's the pyramid say, Mary? Well, the pyramid, uh, the pyramid, the pyramid says a couple of different things, and you guys are all right in a way. So I want to go back to what Carl mentioned earlier about some of those weather variables and soil variables. Uh, when you're looking at, at the actual pyramid, we, we talk about these different variables. And, and like Carl said, we bucketize them into weather, soil management, and nutrients. And so weather and soil variables, um, those are the ones that you play the cards that you're dealt. And, and you know you can't change the soil texture in the field. You can't control the weather. Um, but what you can do there is pick the right hybrid to really withstand what the big uncontrollable variables are in your, in your zone. Uh, so for example, uh, in, in the Eastern Corn Belt, uh, you, want you want to have a hybrid that uh, can handle some drought through late vegetative and stages and grain fill stages, because those are the, the two um, most influential weather variables. So you handle those uncontrollable variables by making sure you have a hybrid that really fits those situations. When it looks, uh, when we look at the things though that we can control, uh, what we found is actually population has the biggest effect on, on yield, um, which kind of surprised me that, I, I mean, it shouldn't have surprised me because it's pretty obvious that uh, if you up your populations out there and manage them well, uh, you're going to improve your yield. But what really surprised us was how subtle that variation was. Even pushing your population by, by two to 3,000 plants per acre had a positive effect on yield. Um, so you don't have to go from 27,000 up to 36,000. And in fact, I've been guilty in the past when we're talking about like variable rate seeding or something saying, you know, change it 5,000 plants per acre if you're, if you're going to go to the trouble of, of changing it. Um, but really, 1,000 to 2,000 plants per acre is, is going to have an effect. Um, that's not a huge financial input, but it could have a big influence on yield. And Mary, uh, I just want to clarify here, that's independent of specific hybrids. 
that's what our data in all of these trials that you mentioned that. So if I'm a grower and I say, Hey, I always plant 28,000. That's just what I do regardless of hybrid. That's what our data is suggesting is no, not a specific hybrid. This is just all of our data set. Correct. That's right. And so Brian, what you would want to do after evaluating your overall populations is look at the hybrid specific seeding rate recommendations. So, uh, say you're, you're, you're choosing your hybrid and our optimum is between 28,000 and 32,000. If you've been historically at that 28,000, bump it up to 30 or 31,000 and you may see a, a really good response there. So yeah, so, so what I'm saying is, is bumping, bumping up your populations within that recommended hybrid range. Sure. And that stands to reason, right? I mean, we've talked umpteen times about Corn yields over time have increased, just like seeding rates over time has increased. Our ears haven't got twice as big in 100 years. It's that we're able to fit twice as many plants on that retain the same size year over 100 years. So that's that uh, that jives. Um, so, Mary, what what has the next most influence on on corn yield in the eastern corn belt? Would you say the next most influential variable kind of surprised me, and it was zinc. And I didn't, I did not say zinc. I, I said that it was pH and P and K and nitrogen. This, this, this does not, doesn't jive at all with my fertility discussion, Mary. So zinc is the most important. Okay. Yep. And, and Carl, when we were developing this, I would have put good money on sulfur being at the top of the list and it's not, but I think that this is, is kind of a, a reflection of, of what we can measure through soil tests. Our soil tests are really very accurate for zinc. Um, we could have a whole other podcast episode about what the best way is to determine your sulfur levels in your field, if it's really through soil testing or, or if it's through tissue testing. Um, but this tells us that, that our zinc soil testing is really pretty accurate and making sure that you have adequate zinc in this, in this zone is really money very wisely spent. The third one though, and coming in just a little bit behind zinc is pH. So you were right on that one, Carl. Okay. And Ooh. I think that that pH is, <laughs> that pH is really the key to so many other nutrients. And, and sometimes I look at this pyramid and I think of all the data we've, we've analyzed and the work that's gone into it. And basically we're telling everybody, plant a few more uh, seeds out in the field and uh, put on some lime, this, this newfangled tool that we have. But really it just goes to show how interconnected everything is. And that pH being right is the key to making sure that all of your other nutrients are available. So you guys use the example of the, of the uh, biologicals question, which we're, we're getting that all the time. You know, I've heard about this new product. Should I try it? Well, before you do those things, make sure everything else in your field is set up for success and your pH being correct is really, really the foundation of that. Um, after that, we start looking at phosphorus, magnesium, calcium, and then in this zone, um, potassium was, was the least influential but it was still influential. So when I talk about things being more or less influential, all of these things are important. I'm just telling you the, the order of their importance. And if you have a set uh, amount for your budget for inputs, these are the things that I would target first. I would make sure you have your lime on there. Don't skimp. 
Um, if you're putting in zinc in, in starter or putting it on as, as, as um, part of your uh, broadcast application, spend the money on that. Uh, and, and then and and then maybe up your population as well. Do those easy, low-hanging fruits first. Oh, Mary, I think I think that's great because you know that this is kind of helping advise some of those decisions as folks are deciding. Well, you know, do I spend some more money on you know setting up a two-by-two system for starter? And you know, okay, you're telling me zinc's important. I've never put zinc on. You know, what? How are some of the ways that I can start delivering this to my crop? And just just like you said, um, you know, it's it's reorienting us so that we know what are the big levers to pull first as we're working with you know the same budget we have every year. Just the dollars aren't going as far as as they have in the past. So I think that these uh, these prioritized lists are are really big and that they're different for all of these different growing regions across the country that tells you that okay there is um you know there's some finesse to this game not everybody can just throw out more seeds and hope for more water and and you get you know 20 extra bushels there there's an art to this science that we're trying to distill through data analysis i think that right exactly i think that it's it's worth keeping in mind that um you know, back back to the very beginning that you have you have to accurately identify what your location is too. But, but Mary, I, I'm not sure if we covered it last week or not. I can't remember. But um, these these all came all these data points came from our PKP locations, and and at least those PKP locations that I'm familiar with are, are uh, probably probably a little bit better than county average, if not a lot better than county average. Um, so, you know when you're looking at, at pH being farther down on the list than what, than what Carl or I both would say that that's, that's the first thing you have to get right. Is, is there any impact in that from, you know, saying these locations, the, the low end of pH on them has maybe been like 5.5 as compared to, you know, I've, I've encountered, um, I've encountered fields well, well below five in, in my career, you know, and, and that, that's just, that's just a huge red light. We've got to get this fixed immediately, right? So um, can you speak to, to that a little bit? Yep, absolutely, Ben. So, so you're right. The, the, the vast majority of this data came from our PKP plots. And our Pioneer sales reps do an awesome job with these plots. So our average yield tends to run about 20 bushels higher than the USDA county average for all of these zones. So when you're looking at the pyramid, um, and, and, and it's a little hard to talk about this on the podcast because there's a lot of there's a lot of visual aids with with this tool that when you're sitting down with your with your pioneer agronomist or your sales rep um, that you're going to be able to see here. Our, our our first base of that pyramid is looking at that zone yield average. So that's that USDA county average. And for the Eastern Corn Belt, uh, USDA county average is 150 bushel per acre. So the next three levels of the pyramid, tiers two, three, and four, is, is information that is directly from our data set. We just broke it into thirds. So we've got a bottom third, a middle third, and a top third, and looked at what, what the uh, average levels were in those different tiers. And so we came up with that next step of once you decide you know, what zone you're in, what what yield level you're in, then you can move to the action step of, okay, this is, these are, these are the critical levels or the actions you need to do to move yourself from level one to level two or from two, level two to level three. 
And so the recommendations that we're making um, may vary slightly by your farm, uh, but the trends are there and we're presenting to you what, what, the, uh, what, what the soil test levels, uh, what the buildup levels are in farms that have gone from this level two yield up to this level three yield or from level three yield to level four yield. Mary, that was that was good. And I wonder as we're, you know, sitting here almost 25 minutes into the episode, if maybe we might need a part three to this uh, to really make it into a trilogy to to work our way all the way through the yield pyramid. Um, I, I think that we did a nice job of explaining what those big levers are, but you and Ben just reached some nuance there where um, just because we say zinc's important in the Eastern Corn Belt doesn't mean your first fertility dollar should be on zinc. Um, if we're, you know, sitting there at the base of the yield pyramid closer to the county average, instead of, say, reaching for 225, maybe we don't spend those zinc dollars quite yet. Um, so I don't know, Ben, Brian, any, anything more we wanted to touch on before we maybe put a to be continued on this one? Certainly can. I think one thing I do want to mention, though, Carl, in this is that and Mary started out here. This is a very individualized discussion. Uh, as agronomists, we love the winter meetings where we're able to present to large groups and we're able to put slides up. Mary, you mentioned all of the visual aids that we have and the yield pyramids got some really great visual aids that we can use when we're presenting. But this is a very high level discussion that we're having even though we're getting into the nuance this is really a grower by grower field by field discussion uh, you're going to talk about different fields different ways because of yield level i think you also have to keep in mind that those yield levels have to be um, accurate and real world we all love to swing for the fences but this is a tool where we have to be brutally honest about what a farm is capable of doing or we're never actually going to be able to move that yield bar up and move up the pyramid. And so I think that's something else to, to add in here that as we put in a part three, we need to really talk about to set realistic expectations and also goals for these things. But I don't want folks to think of that, hey, you're just going to get a flyer from your pioneer agronomist or from your pioneer sales rep. It's going to have the yield pyramid on it and you can go through a checkbox. This is just like what we've done today a discussion about a particular field and you've got to do uh, all of the heavy lifting to find out the particulars in order to move up that pyramid. I like it. So maybe, maybe next week, what do you guys say? Do we work through what maybe a farm scenario where we've got a few different fields at a few different stages along the pyramid and we can talk about uh, maybe some different strategies to move them up a level at a time. I think that's a great place. I think the other thing too, is that with the three of us representing the state of Indiana, we do have Eastern Corn Belt represents a lot, but there are some differences. And I think it's important to point out those differences. As you mentioned, Mary, in the zinc specifically, the order of where zinc falls depends a little bit on which one of those zones you're in. And it, zinc's not the only one. That's the one that I think surprised most everybody when they first started to see the yield pyramid at how high it was in the list. Uh, but I think it would be important to point out some of those and get the more individualized approach that I just spoke about Carl I think that would be important to point out as well yep absolutely good. I'd be glad to glad to come back for a third time that that would be great Mary I think that uh, having a third time here 
with you to get into the nuance and maybe put a bow on the uh, pyramid, a uh, little holiday reference there for everybody. <laughs> uh, so we can do that. Uh, ben, Carl, if uh, somebody wanted to get a hold of you from something that we talked about today, how could they do that as we start to close down the podcast today? Representing the Northern Sands region, uh, if you want to get a hold and talk through some of the nuance, uh, please feel free to reach out um, on Twitter at CJorn. How about Mr. Jacob? If you haven't encountered me yet, you can find me on Twitter at TheBenJacob or on Facebook at BenJacobAgronomy. Great. And Mary, you're the yield pyramid expert. If somebody's got something they really want to visit with you about, what's the best way to get a hold of Dr. Mary Gums? Yep. On Twitter, I am at Dr. Gums. All right. And if you want to get a hold of me for some reason, and I can't imagine why, uh, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at BK Schrader or on Instagram at B underscore K underscore Schrader. And so uh, this is our first episode back from Thanksgiving. I thought maybe just to end the episode real quick, maybe peer back the curtain, let folks kind of know a little bit about our personal lives and how maybe we celebrated Thanksgiving. Mary, I'd be interested. Uh, what did you do for Thanksgiving? I had my uh, brother's family, who includes a freshman uh, agronomy student at Purdue, and uh, a couple of the neighbors and my in-laws over for dinner. Great. And, and Ben, how about you? I bet I know what the menu was. I bet it was venison. Uh, actually, no, we, we stick to, we stick to, I guess venison would probably be a more traditional fare, but what we think <laughs> of as traditional fare, um, you know, I've, I've got, I've got three kids, Brian, between seven and two. And so really anytime you get together um, with a group of people, that's a whole lot of excitement. So just, just play referee. Um, you know, I, I've got, my my siblings kids all fall in that same age bracket and i think there's uh, there's a pile of grandkids i don't know how many all between you know eight and younger so yeah that's that that really encompasses family get togethers just just um you know trying to keep kids from getting hurt more or less and and all but then um yeah we had a couple different get togethers we did we took the kids on the polar express the train ride down in french lick so uh, I guess Christmas has officially started here. Well, I'm still still coming down from Thanksgiving. Well, I was going to say in your house, it's not really Thanksgiving. It's the first day of Christmas is what it is. It's the kickoff to the Christmas season, not really Thanksgiving, that's, I'm sure. That's right. Yep. All right, Carl, how about uh, you? How did you celebrate Thanksgiving this year? Uh, here in the Lafayette area, we kind of had a passing of the torch where uh, the Carl Jorn and Lindsey Jorn family hosted Thanksgiving for the uh, first time with extended family. So we were uh, very busy in the kitchen that day or two prior. Uh, but yeah, we had a had a great time with uh, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles and all that stuff. So we uh, had a nice time Then followed it up Saturday with the old oak and bucket game had the uh, the sister's boyfriend's family in town for the first time. And they, they come from Bloomington, Illinois or Bloomington, Indiana. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to see us uh, pound some sand on the Hoosier Billies. So uh, there you go, go, go Boilermakers. Uh, Brian, so. how, how about yourself? Yeah, we uh, celebrated with the Schrader side of the family a week or so ago, just because of trying to balance some schedules and things. And then uh, had the opportunity to travel down to Madison, Indiana on the uh, river and uh, celebrate with my wife's family uh, on Thanksgiving Day. So that's what the, the Schraders did for Thanksgiving. 
Well, we, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. As we mentioned, we'll have Mary back on uh, on our next podcast to finish up this discussion on the yield pyramid. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, hope that uh, you had a very safe and uh, good Thanksgiving as well. And we appreciate your time listening to the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.
This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming. This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes.